You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello out there in podcast land. Welcome back to Teller from Jerusalem. And today's episode is part of our character series. And today we'll be discussing probably part one regarding the issue of gratitude. Uh, Today's episode is totally spontaneous and without notes, which is going to make the job all that more challenging for our very talented sound engineer, Howard Felsen. But, appropriately, gratitude should be spontaneous. This episode is heavily indebted to an essay I read once by Dennis Prager and by Rabbi Joseph Telushkin's masterwork, The Code of Jewish Ethics, Volume 1. I don't know you. I cannot even see you. All I can see are the walls of this very narrow studio. But even without knowing you or seeing you, I'm quite convinced that the overwhelming vast majority of us should be overjoyed at our health and our wealth, that we've not lost a child, our political and socioeconomic freedom. I've been all over the world. And for a moment, I do not take for granted all the freedoms and liberties that we have and that we possess. If we would compare ourselves to 90% of the history of this planet, we are so much better off than everyone else before us or contemporaneously. I'll tell you a story which I actually once wrote, which pretty much introduces us to this concept. This is a true story from the protagonist herself. According to New York state law, The homebound are entitled to an education, and this woman, a specialist, told me that she attempted to teach motor control to a girl who was born with a rare congenital defect which has robbed her of a brain. This girl, who is nine years old, lies in a crib festooned with toys she cannot appreciate, for she cannot tell the difference between heat and cold and light and dark, and she said if this girl would ever raise the smallest pinky, it would be a major miracle. This girl lives in a religious Jewish neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. And one day she was tending to the girl, and for the very first time she met the father of this girl, a wealthy individual, again in this affluent religious neighborhood in Brooklyn, and she had never met the father before. He went over to the crib and scooped up his daughter. Now you know children are soft and pliable, and cuddly, this girl was stiff and rigid. He scooped her up, hugged and kissed her, and said without any irony at all, what do you say about her treasure? After 14 miscarriages, look what God blessed us with. And this man was truly appreciative. And you hear a story like this, and you go home and you see one of your kids coloring on the wallpaper. You want to hug them and not break them. If we compare ourselves to other people, We have to do this in a way that we learn not to be jealous of what they have and not to even compare, but really to be grateful for what we possess. Most people, particularly Americans, expect too much. And this is a recipe for misery. You have to learn to make a distinction between expectations and goals. It is not a good idea to have expectations. If you always expect to be well and you wake up with a headache, you get all bent out of shape. You have a flat tire away to an important meeting because you never have a flat tire away to an unimportant meeting. 
you start cursing and cussing. But if you don't expect, you learn how to roll with the punches. This does not mean you shouldn't have goals. It's important to have goals, but not expectations. If a kid's goal is to be in the NFL, that's a great goal. It's going to make him play harder and quicker and faster and tougher. But it's not a realistic expectation. If every NFL player expects to be in the Super Bowl, that's not a realistic expectation. I was nominated for a prize here in Israel, and out of 247 other candidates, it's been narrowed down to someone else and myself. Unhumbly, I think I'm deserving of this prize, but that's my, go my goal and not my expectation, not to mention the fact the judge is the uncle of the other candidate. There is a delicious inverse relationship between expectations and gratitude. The more you expect, the less grateful you'll be, and the less you expect, the more you're grateful you'll be, which is why, again, it's not good to have expectations. And here there's an obvious edge, by the way, also for a runner. A runner's goal should be to beat his own personal record a little bit faster. That should be the goal, but if you expect to get onto the podium and be position one, two, or three in the winner, out of a race of 30,000 or even 3,000, it's not necessarily a realistic expectation. It's a great goal. And of course, ironically, when do we appreciate that which we have? When we no longer have it, when it's taken away. You bang your knee and you appreciate what it's like to walk pain-free. You hurt your eye, you appreciate the blessing of clear sight. It's only when we lose something, God forbid, a zillion times over, you lose your spouse, then all of a sudden, these monumental, fundamental arguments are laughable. She squeezes the toothpaste from the middle, not from the, not from the bottom. What you wouldn't give now to have her squeeze it from the side, from the bottom, from the top, to smear the walls, just that she should be here. We've learned to concentrate on what we have and not what we've lost. Rabbi Noah Weinberg told the story that the happiest person he ever met was a student of his. And one day he said to him, what is your secret to happiness? The kid just was infectious. He smiled. Everybody smiled. What is your secret? He said, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't have a secret. Come on, come on. What's your secret to happiness? I don't have, come on, come on, share it with it. I don't. And finally, he confessed, conceded, that he grew up in Holland. When he was nine years old, he was riding his bicycle, as seemingly everybody does in Holland. They even have these adorable little silver dollar traffic lights for bicycles. He's riding his bike down the road, and all of a sudden, this truck came barreling down the road. And when all the dust had settled, he was run over. He was taken to the hospital. And later that night, his parents, who were worried beyond belief, finally found their son. They came into the ward and said, Huh? Oh, no, you're missing a leg. And the boy said, don't worry, it's okay. He said, don't worry, you're missing a leg. He said, don't worry, it's okay. What do you mean, don't worry, you're missing a leg. He said, I looked around the ward. One person was blind. One person, person was missing their arms. One person had a pulmonary problem. And I thought to myself, thank God, I have my eyes, I have my nose, I have my mouth. I have my brain. I have my arms. I have a leg. I have a defect, but thank God for all that I have. 
And this person never looked back. The happiest person that was ever met. Concentrate what you have, for most of us just have too much. So much. And this introduces us to the most important component to achieving happiness, which is gratitude. Happiness cannot be achieved without gratitude. And here is really the obvious edge of, and here I refer to in Judaism, where law maintains. Now, the truth is it's not necessarily just Judaism, because, of course, other religions have grace before you eat and acknowledging that the food comes from the Almighty. But according to Jewish law, one may not benefit from this world without first making a blessing. Prior to COVID, uh, I would pray at the Western Wall Friday night, and we'd take home guests from the wall. We call them walnuts. And one Friday night, this is many years ago, a true story, we brought home a girl off the wall, brought her ostensibly for one meal, but she stayed a little bit longer. After a few weeks, I said to her, maybe you'd like to go to a seminary for beginners called Neve Yushalayim. She said, no, no, she said, I like it where I am. I said, nonetheless, there's good food, intriguing classes. She said, again, I'm happy, but I said, nonetheless, and I ordered a cab, and I brought her to Neve Yushalayim. Years later, this woman is, a, is married, a religious woman, has a couple of kids. She later confessed to me, her very first day in Neve Yushalayim, the seminary for beginners, I walked into the dining room, and I saw everyone talking to the food before they ate it. I thought they're really spaced out. But now I'm lost without a blessing. This is where I hang my hat of appreciation. It's my fulcrum of gratitude. A similar kind of story. Years ago, I was flying to America, flying to America from Israel, and on the flight were two of the great rabbis from the Mir Yeshiva where I study, Rabbi Chadash and Rabbi Finkel. Both of them are no longer living. And when these great rabbis learned that I was on their flight, I'm a seasoned traveler. Fortunately, they were not. They asked me if I would sit next to them. My policy is I prefer to sit next to someone who's not, I'm not familiar with. And I told them I'll be juxtaposed and papinkuri, but not totally adjacent. So it was Rabbi Aaron Chadash at the window. Next to him, Rabbi Finkel, who was the most saintly man I ever met in my life. You put my, your fingers on his beard, they would be dripping with God's holy presence. What a holy, saintly individual. Next to him sat an Israeli. I sat behind him. And next to me was a middle-aged Israeli couple. I introduced myself to my neighbors, and he explained to me that they are zealously not religious. Not just merely not religious, but zealously not religious. So I go into my spiel, no impression whatsoever, like water off, off a duck's back. It's a night flight. We fall into a fitful sleep. Four hours later, dawn is cracking. Rabbi Finkel jumps up. Here is the very first opportunity to say the morning blessings. He puts on his jacket, puts on his hat, and he waves back and forth and begins to say the morning blessings. The couple next to me begin to freak out. They tell me, he's one of yours. You get him to quiet down. I was not prepared to cooperate. They called over to stewardess and stewardess, or in today's language, the flight attendants, and they said, get him off the plane. I tried to explain this as highly impractical, emphasis on the highly. They said, call the captain. After two or three minutes, Rabbi Finkel sat down. 
couple resume breathing, and then Rabbi Finkel gets up and goes to the bathroom again. He comes out and once again puts on his jacket, puts on his hat, sways back and forth with all the histrionics and gesticulations. He starts reciting a blessing, and the couple says, Now what's he doing? I said, Sir, I don't know how to explain this to you, but there is a blessing you make when you come out of the bathroom. He said, Give me a break. I said, No. All you have to do is go to the hospital. If someone's inlets aren't inlining and their outlets aren't outlining their rupture or blockage, they're immeasurable, horrific. He in his pain. All of a sudden, his finger snapped and he said, You know what? He said to me in Hebrew, You've got a point. The next six hours, we're talking religion all the way to America. He then came to hear me speak. We were both traveling to Los Angeles. And I always say it's Rabbi Finkel's bathroom blessing that turned him around. That's what it means to be appreciative. That's what it means to make a blessing. There's a Uncle Moishi song, if those of you are familiar. Uh, and it goes something like this. Baruch Hashem in Hebrew is for thank God. Baruch Hashem for the sky so blue. For whatever you do, I'm a happy Jew. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. So it's awfully corny, but it's awfully true. But why should I give you my rendition? Let's hear the original. Baruch Hashem for the sky so blue. Baruch Hashem for whatever you do. Baruch Hashem, I'm a happy Jew. Baruch Hashem, thank you. And for everyone else, let's do the more general, less parochial version. That sounds like this. Grateful people look forward to helping those who have helped them. Conversely, what is the mindset of the ungrateful person? The only reason that Jack helped me is to make sure that I'll reciprocate when he needs me. Or, Lucy did me a favor, but she's only doing me this favor because she's going to expect something back from me. An ungrateful person reveals not only a suspicious and mean-spirited disposition, but how unprofoundly loved they feel. Ungrateful people cannot imagine that others care enough about them to be generous with no thought of quid pro quo. Think of the people that you regard as ungrateful. Inevitably, you're going to realize that none of them is a happy person. How could they be? Living in a world in which they see everyone as loveless and without friends. And now think of those people who express gratitude even for the smallest little favor. These are people who automatically come to mind as the happiest people that you know. Years ago, I was visiting someone that I know who is serving a prison sentence. This is in Israel. And I was in the, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a long procedure to get into jail, I guess, for a criminal and also for a visitor. And you have to wait, and then you, you hemorrhage a lot of time visiting a prisoner, but regardless. And there I was in the waiting room, and a person approached me, very nice man. Uh, I'd never met him before, and he asked me if, I, if he can request a favor, and I said, sure. I mean, if I can help you, why not? And he asked me 
if I'm just there by myself to visit someone, I said, that is correct. He said, can I please ask you a favor? I said, go ahead. So he said that his son is in jail. Now, I know thinking of someone in jail always conjures the worst thing in your imagination. It happens the boy was in jail because he attended a demonstration, uh, which turned out to be an illegal demonstration, about Israel uh, giving land to Palestinians. And for this, he was given a jail sentence. So he said to me, if you could do me a favor, my son's fiance is here, and we are ready. You're all, every prisoner is allowed only two visitors. But if his fiance comes with me, as it were, to visit my, to visit my prisoner, then she can then visit her fiance. I said, of course. Now, what did I do? Absolutely nothing. I just allowed this woman to come in as if she was ostensibly coming with me to visit my prisoner, my prisoner, my, the fellow that I was visiting in jail. I have met this fellow a few times. I mean, I didn't even notice him. There have been times, this happened maybe eight, nine years ago. Over the last eight, nine years, he must have seen me five or six times. We both live in Jerusalem, but totally different neighborhoods. Whenever he sees me, he runs across the street, gives me this bear hug, and thanks me, and thanks me, and thanks me for something I didn't do a thing. Now, this person is very, very grateful. And I must tell you, he's an extremely happy individual. It may sound a bit exaggerated, but this is a person who knows how to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for every moment that led to this day. Thank you for the hard times. They made me appreciate the good times. Thank you for the lessons. They were needed for my development. Thank you for my eyes that get to witness the miracles of today and tomorrow. Thank you for everything I take for granted. Thank you for all of my blessings. Gratitude is rooted in remembrance. Therefore, we must make a conscious effort to recall how others have helped us. If we don't do this, then we're going to forget and we're not going to have that quality. It's like ripping a muscle. The more grateful you are, the happier you are. But you have to think about what you have to be grateful for and express that gratitude. By practicing gratitude and constantly examining what you're thankful for and why, you stop ignoring what makes you happy. Essentially, being actively grateful will make you a happier person. We have to learn to make our gratitude for others to last for a long time. There's a classic American joke about a congressman who was running for office, and he was soliciting his constituents' vote, and one person he learned, who he had helped out in the past, it made him, this fellow made known that he wasn't going to vote for him. He said, what do you mean you're not going to vote for me? Don't you remember that 10 years ago your business burned down? And I got you the loan from the Special Small Business Administration to help you build up. He said, that's true. And what about that time your daughter got in trouble overseas and was arrested by the police and I arranged to have her released? He said, that's true. And what about that time your wife had this very bizarre disease and I got her admitted to a special hospital? He said, that's true. But what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately is the refrain of the ingrate. And we're going to have to pick this up next time because the way to be a happy person, to express gratitude, is rule number one is not to be ingrate. So thank you very much, and we look forward to the continuation. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes a never-fail approach how to inculcate good character. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. 
Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit telefromjerusalem.com. You can find more details about this show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you will receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced price of all Hanoch Tele products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Tele from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com. 